Post podcast. I, of course, am your host, Aaron Pym, and what I like to do here on the pod is bring fun and sexy guests into the studio to talk about sex and sexuality with me. And oh boy, people, you know, I've been recording virtual for so very long. I've had like a one I can think of that I recorded in person, two, two, two in the past three years that I've recorded in person. And yet I've got a person right beside me. I'm so excited. We had a gluten-free cake. We've got our tea. (laughs) Without further ado, I mean, that's not the only reason I'm excited about this episode, everybody. Listen to this. Okay, we have intimacy coordinator for film and TV. Please welcome the mic, everybody, Mattia Kennedy. Hey, Mattia. Well, hello, Erin. <laughs> I'm so excited for this conversation. I can't believe I hadn't asked you to been on the pod sooner. I'm very privileged, and <laughs> I am extremely excited. I've been excited about this the whole weekend. Aww. Yeah. Even our like pre-episode chat, I was like, oh man, this is going to be good. This is going to be real good. Hope so. <laughs> Darren headlights. Hope so. Um, okay, I guess we should start. Intimacy coordinator, maybe just for the folks who aren't even familiar with this gig. What's, yeah. What's it about? What does an intimacy coordinator get up to? Yeah, fair question. So a lot of the time, uh, I explain it by saying to people, "Well, you know what a stunt coordinator is." Stunt coordinator. Yep, we got it. Right. Most people get that. So then they go, "Oh, okay." for intimacy yeah and that's that's it it's a little bit broader than that it's for nudity um simulated sex or what we kind of call anything hypersensitive hypersensitive so like anything things like surrounding touch or is there sometimes when there isn't even touch it could be because it could just be like a hypersexualized conversation <sighs> where people I don't touch each other there's no nudity but it's it could feel quite difficult and sometimes a director does just themselves want a support person yeah that makes perfect sense um so even something that has like sexual content or sexual themes perhaps but not any simulated sex or nudity perhaps okay that makes total sense yeah and sometimes they're gonna cut just before the moment but you know people are about to have sex yeah they want us there for that as well so that all the looks and the glances and the steamy breathing and the intent is really amped up but you don't see what happens so there's some there's some great areas absolutely yeah even um yeah I, I imagine like because um, I'm a kink facilitator, as you're aware of. I'm a sex, uh, kink and sex educator as well. And our pre-conversation for this pod was like talking about how so very nuanced all of this stuff is and how um, comfortability and consent is so very subjective. 
How do you go about like navigating the subjectivity, the specificity when you're on set consulting with someone? Yeah, it's a great question. And I have to say it starts in best case scenario, it will start before that. So in an ideal world, an intimacy coordinator will have access to the cast members who are going to be involved in any given scene um, with enough time to have private at least a private phone conversation with them. Great. To lay out what the artistic vision is for the scene, what the tone is, and then ascertain what their boundaries are, mm-hmm. what their injuries are. Yeah, what their bodies doing. What their yeah. allergies are. <laughs> You're going to get up close to someone who's just had a, you know, prawn sandwich, and you've got a seafood allergy, and I'm going to ask right up front. All of those, I'm getting into the nitty gritty you like right away. Um, Of course, in filming anything, there's so many shots to any one scene. Um, It is really important to understand somebody's, you know, injuries and tolerances. Because if we think about some of the sexual um, positions that we just find ourselves in in real life, we're trying to replicate a lot of those in film and television. Somebody could be up on their elbows for... A ridiculous. Well, it could be, I don't, it, it could be a scene that could take you know forty minutes to shoot from all different angles, and sometimes you'll be in a position, and neither the director or the or the assistant director has asked you to cut, and you cannot Move. cut until they've said cut. So if they, you know, if the DP and the director just start talking to each other, have a sidebar moment, you're still on your elbows. That seems, yeah, that seems tough. And I I bet part of it, because we were talking about this too, of like, so these individual conversations you would have would be like, okay, so how do you feel about being in this position? And how long, you know, if we're looking at the length that you could hold it, this is something that happens with my work as well. It's like a lot of people haven't, done that exact thing before and can't really tell you exactly how long they can hold that position for you know what I mean so that can be a thing that you can kind of discover in the moment how do you navigate stuff like that where the person is literally like I'm gonna fall or I'm gonna I feel like I need to get out of this for a second I gotta cramp any of that stuff definitely I mean we try and um forefront it a little bit with the conversation so if somebody says to me oh um I've got really bad knees Mm -hmm. Then I know right away, you know, to try and get them, you know, more than the average padding that we would offer to mention it to the AD so that they have a clue that this person is going to be good to do it. But, you know, let's get them out with some regular breaks um, and try and get them in and out of the scene uh, as succinctly as possible. And it gives it brings a mindfulness. Um, But, you know, in saying all of that, those are great reminders for the AD and director just on a regular day. Um, Even a person that doesn't have bad knees. A hundred percent. You know, being in that one position for a very long time would hurt anyone. Yeah, exactly. So try and think about that. Like, how could we pad um, a bed a bit more? How could we pad the floor underneath the carpet? You know, it might look like someone's just dragged their scene partner for a quickie on the, you know, in front of the fire. But we've put yoga mats, crash pads, all kinds of stuff underneath so that you're really protecting somebody yeah. as much as possible. Man, I want you to renovate my apartment next uh, when I do that. 
Just padding everywhere. Yeah. For we sustained positions. <laughs> Just in case. Just in case. Just in case. Safety first. Um, so we do work with other departments. Obviously, it's, you know, we work in collaboration. So then if you're looking for a crash mat, we might be asking, you know, props, do they have something? Or extra padding underneath something. We might look to see if grips have something. Like, it, we're not, it's not... Um, just us in isolation we're really part of a team hmm. that's amazing yeah because I'm sure that's the same thing that happens with like oh I have an idea a writer that's like oh I have an idea for this joke that needs this requires this prop let's talk to props and get it figured out in a similar way you might be like oh we're gonna probably need this thing so yeah let's talk to props let's talk to whomever can get us this thing for the scene just as important right yeah definitely Definitely. And it's always um, good to also reach out to other departments who kind of cross over with any scenes of intimacy. Yeah. Um, something funny that I just jotted down when you were talking, you were talking about allergies. Um, that's something that I also, in a funny way, has to do with like my type of work. Um, I've like sold my socks before. Um, and like some people have pets, right? Like, so they might be selling socks to somebody. They have a cat. If that person has a dander allergy to cats, to dogs, then, like, that's going to be tough if they're huffing that sock. Or, like, for me, you know, fluids play, like spit play. If I'm munching on a granola bar that has nuts in it, you know what I mean? Like, that's something you really need to clear with the person you're going to be spitting in their mouth. And they have a peanut allergy. That could be literally the most dangerous. <laughs> um, okay, so you get together with people beforehand one-on-one. Why is that important in your work versus just kind of coming on set? Everybody's kind of set up to this in the scene and then you're kind of addressing everyone and why why the one-on-one interactions at least for an initial conversation if possible doesn't always happen but it is optimal because um film and television is not democracy yes it is at best a benevolent autocracy (laughs) (laughs) i like that and i kind of think it's like we're on a ship on the ocean Mm. right everybody has their own role and they're quite clearly defined and it takes the whole crew Mm. so in saying all of that it becomes easier to understand the hierarchy that if the director is the captain and they say to a performer i'd like you to do this that performer feels very compelled for a myriad of different reasons to do it Mm-hmm. part of the role of the intimacy coordinator has grown up out of a groundswell from Time's Up and Me Too movements. I was going to say, when did this start? Was this always a thing that you had an intimacy coordinator on a shoot? How did that kind of develop? So, yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, so it earlier, earlier um, acknowledgement of the kind of inception of the role is about 2016 and it and it sort of came a few different directions but Tonya Cena, Siobhan Richardson and Alicia Rodis um, sort of forefronted a lot of this thinking that is um, in Canada Alicia Rodis actually American 
Um, but Amanda Blumenthal, Mia Schachter in LA and Ita O'Brien in the UK. And it, it became a sort of collective consciousness, um, as far as I can tell. Um, uh, for people who were in different disciplines unto themselves. So some people were stunt people mm. or fight people or movement people. Um, Amanda Blumenthal, who is my trainer, was a somatic sex um, therapist. Mm. And that was why I particularly chose her training as opposed to anybody else's. Um, it's because I wanted to come not primarily from the movement choreo side, but f- like really right from the sex side. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to start there. Yeah. And then kind of let it parlay out in into the movement side, into the choreo side. Um, so, yeah, like, the, you know, really brilliant people sort of put this out into the collective consciousness. And um, it has, you know, really taken, it has begun to have traction uh, with an understanding that it, uh, my take on it is that an intimacy coordinator attached to your production will save you money. Mm. Right. The consent conversations happen in advance. I'm going to figure out people's express boundaries. We're going to have a plan of um, what are we going to do if you don't feel as confident or comfortable as you thought. Yes. (laughs) Right. Again, that thing of discovering. How can I support you? What would you need in that moment? What might come up for you? Is there anything that you want to share with me? Um, in advance so to go back to your question that sort of began this um part of the conversation is i'm gonna check into those things privately because somebody may feel um more available to share with me something that they wouldn't necessarily blurt out to the director because of the hierarchy and the power dynamic that we've discussed already exist inherent within the culture of film and television so Um, I'll take that information and, um, depending on whether they need an actual rider to their contract, some of that information will go in to inform what the boundaries are that they have expressed. So a rider to somebody's contract in this instance is there to protect them and it expresses the maximum amount of whatever it is, nudity, simulated sexual activity that they're comfortable with and confident to perform. So somebody might say, well, in this post-coital scene, I'm not really more comfortable than being in a opaque bra and a full coverage panty. Mm-hmm. That's great information. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would take that to the costume department, to the AD communicate that to the director and make sure that that information is passed on to whoever it is that will send their rider and it would state in the post-coital scene xyz no more nudity than what i've just described Mm -hmm. so anything up to that is fine this is um kind of interesting i just had a memory actually as you know i do have a performing background right and I recall as a teenager or, or just getting out of college, maybe so 20, early 20s, going out for roles. And you know, women, young women going out for roles 
I mean, immediately the roles were for nudity and stuff. Immediately. You know, I have blonde hair. I'm a fit, you know, conventionally attractive person who's literally pretty much still a teenager. But like my first auditions were all for nudity stuff. You're shaking your head. (laughs) But like, yeah, like one of my first auditions for film stuff was for American Pie. There was a scene where um, a bunch of people ran nude across a field. I was auditioning for that fresh out of theater school. And I had to come up against that thing where I was like, just like you said, you have to figure out kind of the maximum of what you'd feel comfortable doing. And I kind of had to come up against that and be like, am I okay? Am I okay with that? But like, there was no one consulting with me. I know it was just an audition, but there was no one that kind of had information for me surrounding that I could make some adjustments and, um, you know what I mean? So I, that's so funny. I, that's probably around 2005 maybe or something. It's interesting. It's so interesting talking to um, female identified performers who I, I mean, obviously I don't know their real age, but I would say, let's say over 35. Right. Quite often a conversation will be, hi, I'm Mattia. I'm the intimacy coordinator attached to the project. And I'm just ringing to ask you if you're comfortable and you would feel confident with it. Blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And these women will be, yeah, yeah, sure. Mm, yeah, <laughs> right. And it's this type of, yeah, mm-hmm, right, great. Thanks for calling. Right. Why? Because they've had everything out on display. Yeah. They've been, been asked for forever. so long. Younger people in the industry seem to be more, have a more nuanced um, consideration in this regard. And they'll, they'll say um, things to me more often like, well, could that shot be just above my nipples? Mm-hmm. Like, does it have to be below my nipples? Mm-hmm. Like, they'll ask that kind of question, whereas that other one would be like, yeah, yeah, had them out. Had them out so many times. <laughs> Literally half of the Western Hemisphere has seen them, whatever. Very kind of blasé attitude, which speaks to how prevalent it has been for women to to perform nudity. Yeah, and I mean, like, when I was considering going out for that role uh, my assumption was I'm act- I'm either running naked through a field or I'm not going to get this you know what I mean I didn't see any room for like that was not uh, under my understanding that like I could make requests and I don't know could I have at the time I don't know depends it depends a bit on the context right and that's a really important thing um to to forefront and to empower people to ask is for them to say um i hear i hear what the ask is i hear what the scene is um what is really the context of this nudity or what is the context of this simulated sexual content Mm -hmm. in terms of the storytelling Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like is it moving the character forward is it moving the story forward is it necessary in some way or does it is it motivated by something or is it just gratuitous Right. And obviously trying to try to avoid the latter. Um, But funny, you know, situations occur where it is, you know, we're talking kind of a lot about when you know up front and you're negotiating clearly and there's expressed um, 
content for tone and uh, you know it in advance. I've also been on set three o'clock in the morning Mm. with everybody's tired, the clock is ticking, Mm. it's not going well. A woman who is in her early 20s, like an emerging artist, is standing in her costume, which was a man's shirt. She's supposed to be nude underneath. She had a bralette and shorts. But the uh, in content of the scene is that she's having an emotional conversation with a much older man. She's wearing his shirt post-coital. It was not going well. It was not a great scene. Mm-hmm. And the director, who was a woman, just said, um, you know, let's just try this with the shirt undone. Mm-hmm. Let's just try it. If I hadn't have been there at three o'clock in the morning, that woman's shirt costume would be off in a heartbeat and I would lay down my life on it yeah the reality of it is that director didn't mean anything untoward she's thinking she just just, was thinking of this like how could we give this some more frisson how could it have more chemistry what would that um dynamic be like if she was more visibly vulnerable like these are all great Mm. artistic questions yes except that it doesn't contemplate a 20 year old woman in the middle of the night, standing on set with a lot of pressure to comply. And it doesn't contemplate what that performer's, um, like, clear-minded decision would be if it wasn't at that moment. Nor does it contemplate what is that performer's window of tolerance to, to look back on it in X amount of years or when they're a parent or when they're a grandparent. Mm. Because nowadays, all content exists forever. Yeah. So I just leaned over to the director and I just said to her very quietly, oh, I'm sorry, it's not in her rider. And the director said immediately, oh, oh, of course, oh, Oh, no, no, of course, of course, no, no problem, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting also the thing you said about time of day. I follow um, an intimacy coordinator on Instagram and they talk a lot about... Um, consent and work and boundaries surrounding your work and um, one of the things you know they talk about all different factors of like why you might take something um, and why you might say no to it or you might suggest alternative options and like it's things like what is the rate how much time energy um, emotional exertion um, enthusiasm for the project um, time of day was was one that was in there that a lot of people I don't think really consider that much like um that that consent is that subjective and is that finicky and nuanced that it's like yeah I might feel comfortable about doing this at a different time of the day but not at 3 a.m when we've been trying this scene a million times and I'm over it and time of day um or at least time of shooting yeah uh in order to explain it just a bit more clearly is what we consider to be the morning could be whatever time you start mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. changes but what I will say is um oftentimes performers who are going to be nude on camera will not eat or drink right before maybe for many many hours or even more than a day in order that they look really lean um, on camera. 
So quite a lot of the time we advocate, if we look at a scene and we look at the one-liner, which is the um, sort of schedule, one of the schedules, we'll kind of maybe, if possible, say to um, the AD who makes the schedule, is there any possible way? Now, a lot of the time they're so um, attuned to it, Mm -hmm. but, you know, every now and then it's a question to say, is there any um, way that we could put this scene up first? Yeah so that this performer can eat or at the very least drink water when it's done. Because otherwise what you could be looking at is somebody who you're bringing to work and you're asking them to work all day and the days are long. The days could be, you know, regularly 12 hours, sometimes more than that. And if you've got a scene where they're supposed to be nude or are definitely going to play some kind of nudity late, that can be a big problem. things, yeah. Oof, that reminds me of like, people that come in like to book a session with me and it's usually stuff surrounding like anal play like it's peck it's a pegging scene usually and they won't eat they won't eat that day so if they come you know early afternoon or something they haven't eaten all day and maybe the scene is a couple hours long and like that's that's a big that can be a big issue it's like no eat 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 something (laughs) have a small breakfast you know like and drink lots of water like that's something that yeah absolutely you can have all sorts of different emotional things happening or physical things happening you can feel lightheaded you can feel like so many so many things that would you know if I'm thinking in the context of like me doing a kink scene with them it's like that could significantly alter our play so I'm just seeing the parallels because I know we talked about there are a lot of parallels between like the type of work I do or just kink in general and the uh, performing world. Yeah, I mean, I think it's closer than we probably realize. Yeah. Um, just some of the terminology that we talked about, like we, it's a scene. Yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> right? I just said, like, do a kink scene. I was kink like, scene. which is separate from yep. a scene you would shoot, like for, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, we're asking people, um, like we have a safe word or if they would be unable to speak for whatever reason, um, uh, a signal, yeah, a safe signal. Yeah, we do the same thing. If um, it's like they're using a gag or their, yeah, their mouth is restricted in some way, face sitting or yep. whatever. Yeah. And we're yeah. asking them, um, if you were in distress, what would I see? What would I hear? You know, what signs and signals are unique to you that I should be looking out for? And what support would you need from me? How could I best support you? Mm-hmm. Not just in the scene, but if you need support because things don't go the way that we anticipate. Like an emotional first aid situation. That's a tough one. Like, I feel like, at least in my, like, if we're looking at the work I do, I think the time that comes up which is can be difficult is that people often don't have the answers for those questions surrounding that like what does it look like if you're not enjoying you know or I I think a lot of people and this is tough with just yeah consent stuff in general um, you can't anticipate everything that thing again of being surprised by um, being triggered for instance yeah, I mean, sometimes, I mean, we don't always know what's going to trigger someone else, certainly, or even ourselves. Um, 
it can be hard, I would imagine, I'm not a performer, but I could imagine it would be hard to perform when you're really activated, even if it's not an actual like mental health trigger. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so for that reason, we have sort of moved away from saying that people will, will help people feel comfortable. <laughs> I'm not sure that... Or safe. Or, yeah, or not even, definitely not safe, um, because that is subjective. Safer is also highly subjective. Mm-hmm. So we try and work within a risk-aware environment where we help people to feel as confident as they can mm-hmm. in the situation, bearing in mind that it isn't real sex. It can only be simulated without a pornography license. Mm-hmm. And so we want them to feel as confident as possible in that um, depiction even if we can't say that they'll necessarily be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And it is a professional endeavour. It's not a personal endeavour. And that makes it absolutely different from something that we would do in our personal lives or our kink lives or our kink scenes. Yeah. Post podcast is sponsored by Come As You Are. Founded as a worker-owned cooperative, Come As You Are has a fundamentally anti-capitalist and feminist approach to sexual pleasure, health, and education. Come As You Are doesn't profit from your pleasure and only stocks products that they truly love and believe in. Come As You Are has been voted best sex shop in Toronto since 1997. Check them out at comeasyouare.com or 254 Augusta Avenue in Toronto's own Kensington Market. We are also sponsored by Club M4 Toronto. Club M4 is the largest sexually charged lifestyle club in the GTA. And now you can go to their website www.clubm4.com If anything looks interesting and you want to check it out, head on down to Club M4 at 1989 Dundas Street, Mississauga. Yeah, I think that, like, just speaks, again, to the nuance of, like, consent isn't black and white, right? And it's like, you brought up that kind of enthusiasm thing and I think that's again that's like kind of an ebb and flow of what's happened in the sex education industry is like requiring enthusiastic consent that's you know that that's a tough one because it's very nuanced our feelings about a certain activity for instance we can have a hundred different feelings about you can be wanting to do it um again for a hundred different reasons maybe money is one um you know you could be feeling anxious about the thing or nervous about the thing. And it's important to have the conversation about like all the things you're feeling about the thing. Um, like, yes, I want to, but, and then it's like, okay, let's work with that. Like now I can kind of uh, me talking about my work. Now I can kind of deliver this, you know, I can do this in a more nuanced way. If I really understand your complex feelings around a certain activity, then we can approach it in a way that can, again, be like as safe as possible. You know, again, safe sex versus safer sex. That's again, a language thing that's shifted. Right. But yeah, even shifting that from being like talking about comfortability, it's just like so much, there's so much nuance here. Right. 
there's a lot of nuance and it's around um, giving people enough time to also ponder, right? That's the mm. absolute beauty of having the privilege of speaking to somebody before the shooting day is, um, you know, we can ask for a, a yes, mm. a hard no, mm. or a maybe. Um, and I love to hear a maybe because then I know somebody's really considering and they don't feel that they have to meet my expectation of a yes, mm. right? Because I have to see myself in the um how can I put it it's like I can't ignore the fact that I am hired by production again with the hierarchy thing and I am working for production to liaise right I am an ally for the performer Mm. but I have to understand my own role Mm. in that environment so uh, maybe is a is a good question for or a good answer for somebody to give me that we can circle back around on um, for sure. Um, and also, I like to offer people quite specific menu. Um, again, as we know in like kink BDSM world, sometimes people, you know, they say, "Oh, I'm I'm really good with that. I'm I'm good with everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any boundaries. Okay, I don't well. have any boundaries. I'm good. I'm just great with everything." And then. You say, so it could be, some, let's talk about kissing. Right. How, have we seen that in the scene that it, you and your scene partner, that they're um, having an intimate kiss? Mm. How do you feel about that? The so chances are they're probably just going to say to me, oh yeah, I saw it in the script, I'm really good. Mm-hmm. But if I say to them, if I bring the language and I say to them, how would you feel if it is an open-mouthed kiss? Mm-hmm. How would you feel if tongues are involved in that kiss? How would you feel if it was a sloppy kiss Mm -hmm. and there was quite a bit of like saliva exchange? Mm -hmm. How would you feel if it was passionate in a manner that involved lip biting or lip nibbling? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So essentially giving them a multiple choice because I I like to do that as well in negotiation because I ask... You know, what would you, what, like one question that a lot of people actually don't have an answer for, for me, isn't like, what's the energy? Like, what type of domination do you want? Do you want something? Then I give the ABCD. I'm like, do you want something that's a little more soft and sensual? Do you want something that's a little more high energy and playful? Do you want something that's super like strict and stern? Like give them some options. And then they're usually able to be like, oh, that one. Exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. So it's good to offer, like, to actually get people to dig in because sometimes you'll say something that they didn't expect. Like, they'll say, well, no, I don't want any nibbling. No, I don't want any saliva. I Actually, I'd prefer it if it was um, just a, cl- like, cl- you know, open mouth, no tongues. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, okay, well, great. there we are. Yeah. Fabulous. <laughs> like, do do that, that is great. Um, and I don't know the name of this performer, but there's a... <laughs> A female um, performer who is quite well known for going on set and she'll she'll shake the hand of her scene partner and she'll go uh, kissing no tongues it's like right out of the gate she'll just shake hands with them announcing kissing no for the kissing no tongues <laughs> and she's like a a-lister who was advocating for herself before this role existed And she just knew that that was a way to forefront the conversation, not be surprised by somebody's tongue in her mouth while they were shooting, what we call on the day, which means in the actual moment of shooting. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's helpful to break it down for people and give them some options. And then it means um, that everything up to that is 
fine. So then if the director says, oh, it's just a peck on the lips, great. We've That's, already... That shoots under... Un, un, yeah, it's going to be well within those boundaries and it can be up to and including those boundaries. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that um, can be useful to discuss in terms of kissing is duration, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. you have to remember that we're simulating something that is not... Um, uh, sorry, simulating something where you're tr- usually trying to express chemistry, like not every kiss that you'll see on screen is a storyline where it's wanted. But in any case, it's good to say, you know, how many beats would you be comfortable with? You know, like kind of three to five. How, you know, would, far, you know, count that out in Mississippi's. It's a, that is a long time Mm -hmm. and it also helps to um give that information to scene partners who very likely haven't met each other Mm -hmm. that's a whole yeah right they're like quite often they're strangers and so there's some tips and tricks that we can give to them to appear to have the um sort of to be have readable signs of arousal Mm -hmm. when they are not aroused Mm -hmm. so i say to them like just um tap on your cheeks the apples of your cheeks to bring up some color Mm -hmm. so that you Mm -hmm. have like the flushing of arousal Mm -hmm. don't stare into the light to keep your pupils as um, dilated dilated as possible because that is a signifier of arousal in the human animal Mm -hmm. and then breathe from your chest not down deeply Mm -hmm. so that you're kind of panting and your breath is higher it is going to replicate an arousal kind of breath work Wow. I took an on-camera class way back in the day, um, and we did a thing about, yeah, these, um, it was not uh, arousal, but it was vulnerability and openness, and one uh, big tip was that your lips are parted, and even your mouth is kind of open a little bit versus your jaw is closed, and that's something we do naturally. Again, it's a body response for, like, feeling comfortable and open and kind of inviting um, but that's just something that I was like, oh, that's a really good one. <laughs> it's a really good one, yeah, right? It's a really good so one. we talk about that as well. Um, and sometimes I'm just going to like give that information to the performers on the day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they have that information. And then if we say um, on top of that, like between you count a maybe a four Mississippis and then break away from the kiss. Mm-hmm. Unless there's a good reason not to for other parameters um then it will give them some guidelines they don't have to rely on like real chemistry which we inherently feel from each other to break away from a real kiss Mm -hmm. but this way they're in control in terms of the shooting so then if that director on ad or maybe dp have like a conversation and you're left kissing Mm -hmm. you're not going to be left kissing because you're already (laughs) breaking after about four seconds and it will always be the same so that puts some control in the hands of the performers um, together as a team. Oh, I like that a lot. Something you said there reminded me of like, I was just thinking of sex work. And this thing of, also with the work I do, a question I get often is like, do you feel, are you aroused at work? Right? And I'm like... 
I don't think I'm aroused at work any more than anyone's aroused at work. Maybe there are a couple times where you get a dirty thought in your head. It literally at any job that you're doing, you think of something that, you know, you zone out for a second or you see someone who's attractive and you're just kind of like, oh, oh, <laughs> like, oops, no, I'm at work. <laughs> like, let's get back to it. Um, it's kind of interesting for me because I do a type of sex work, right? But like, um... I'm always, I'm always, I always say that as an answer and I'm like, it's interesting, this thing of like, I do activities that I enjoy doing and, um, give me, you know, a creative kind of outlets and like, they do all these other things for me that aren't necessarily arousal based, like, cause they want to know I'm enjoying myself basically with that question. And they, you know, it's often this fantasy versus reality thing of like, yeah, they want us to be aroused, you know, they're, they want to think we're aroused when we're doing it but it's kind of like okay well maybe even if I was doing that in another scenario I might be with a person that I wanted to be aroused with and maybe but like in this scenario it's like no you can get a lot out of this it's aesthetically pleasing and um you like the sounds and you're having fun and you're engaged and we're swapping energy and it's really interesting to me um it's just kind of, yeah, I was just thinking of that thing of like doing the act um, and not necessarily being like aroused. That just kind of made me think of that. Yeah, I think that's a really good parallel. And um, yeah, there are times I think, I mean, a lot of the time for a performer, like a male identified performer or really anybody with a penis mm. um not always, but more often than not, I'll also bring into the conversation, the private conversation, arousal non-concordance. Uh-huh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, tell me And about helping that. people to understand that we are, at the end of the day, human animals. Right. And if you put and your if you're grinding self... up against someone that maybe, yeah, yeah, good to talk about, So right? yeah. just the stimulation of a body part because it's a mashing up against yeah. someone else... Yeah can be enough to have um, an arousal that your brain is not considering arousing, but your body is just on autopilot. Yeah. Um, and to really break that down for people and help them understand your body is going to do whatever it does. Right. It doesn't mean that you're aroused or that you're unfaithful or that you're necessarily even enjoying this experience but your body is sort of primed in the way that you can um, smell a food that you don't like but you can have a saliva response right oh interesting that happens wow (gasps) yeah so um these are just physiological things to sort of um cope with i mean we help people a lot with that by um we use all kinds of different barriers and modesty garments to Um, purposefully cut down on stimulation because we don't want someone to really have to deal with that at work yeah right because it is professional and they are performing a role and it's not them Mm -hmm. right it's the the role that they're the character that they're performing so it is important and we work really hard with a variety of different things like for a person with penis they can have a soft cup or a hard athletic cup or some kind of bit of um handmade yoga mat in a garment as a barrier we make stick a piece of foam in there we do all kinds of things i have in my ic kit um pieces of shoe 
um, <laughs> shoe rubber. I have silicone um, heel grips. I have all different diaspora of yoga mats. I have sanitary pads for either any gender. For any gender, they might be offered those. Um, and then uh, some more formal things have entered the marketplace for specific use in this regard. Mm. But most of it is, uh, at least for me, it's me um, pulling out the kind of sponges that you wash a car with. <laughs> love it. Um, yeah, I'm, I recently went to the paint shop to buy a sea sponge because I was like, oh, wait, that'll be more natural and less synthetic and less sweaty. Yeah. So that'd be great. That's in my kit. Um, oh, God. Yeah, That's I have uh, a 14 inch dildo uh, in a harness to offer to somebody who is supposed to have um, like fellatio performed on them Ooh. because they can sit on it. And then that's okay. in the right place. So they, so that's if why you're it's so viewing long. it, like, let's say, yeah, that's why it's so long. Mm. So say, for example, you have um, in your scene that you're shooting uh, somebody's head bobs down in the front seat. Yeah. But you're shooting it from the back seat. So you'll just see the head go down, but you want it to go down at the same place every time in the place that looks realistic. So if you get silicone. that person with a penis to sit on a really long dildo then the first whatever it is of their own hips and thigh take up most of it and what you end up with protruding is a pretty normalish size normalish size (laughs) uh object to aim at in your simulated fellatio it works great that's kind of brilliant (laughs) i hope i don't get stopped ever like on on the way to work with my kit and the police will be pulling out like all different colors of pasties nipple covers shoe things giant dildo lube and a lot of good chocolate (laughs) 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 oh my god um since you you're talking about what seems like quite the pornographic scene. I want to come back to this thing you said, because it's very interesting that you can't actually shoot actual sex. It's got to be simulated. You can actually shoot sex without a pornography license. That's interesting. You're not... so Yeah, so in terms of what the licensing agreement is, as far as I understand it, is without a pornography license, yeah. it should not be, cannot be, a sex act. It has to be a simulated sex act. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to me as a kinkster and then also as a queer person too. I'm like, yeah, but what is sex? What defines sex? I have just reached out to the union to help me define this for all the genders. Yeah. And for the different ages. Yeah. As well, because of the age of consent, um, how we view that, say that we had two female identified performers, um... I'm curious to see how out of date and old fashioned yeah. the laws are, like the Ontario laws are, that regulate what is consent around sex acts. Um, a lot of the time we can simulate. So when we're saying um, without a pornography license, that is usually refers to penetration. Right. Okay. Yeah. POV sex. Yeah. Uh, or anal penetration. Or digital penetration mm-hmm. it's usually the penetration that is the line in the sand okay um because 
patriarchy because men yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't explain that to me no. <laughs> yeah so that is um yeah so i'm actually going to d- dig dig into that a bit more so that i'm really really clear on the law because um you know is touching somebody's breast a sex act yeah no not yeah not no. technically um but... What about if the person doing the touching is a minor? Oof. Ooh. Interesting. Interesting. Now, now that's a question, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's usually about, um, you know, what is the context? What is the story? What is the character? And what are the guidelines around it in terms of what is called um, carnal, a carnal act? Oh, my. And... Um, <laughs> But a child, but a child which is a minor under 18 will never be performing a sex act on screen. Right. Right. Um, they would have a double who is over the age of 18. Oh, I got you. Even so if the character, the story, right. Yeah. Okay. Even character, the, yes. The actor, no. Got yeah, you. Got character, yes. Actor, no. Um, because of the Child Protection Act. So that's very, very clear. But in terms of adults who are over the age of 18, um, yeah, I mean, we see it often, right? Somebody will touch somebody's breast and they're touching the real breast. Mm-hmm. Or their ass or something. Absolutely. You know, an ass gets grabbed often. Yeah. yeah. How often, um, how often, like, are you doing intimacy coordination? Like, is this, how many, I'm just curious, like, in my head, I'm like, you would need to be there for a lot of different types of scenes. Like, it seems to me like, Almost like so much of film and TV would require your services. Like, I'm not retiring anytime soon. Yeah, like to me, <laughs> I'm like, that. I'm like, what scene wouldn't require an intimacy coordinator in my head? You know what I mean? Like, there's a couple of things today. Firstly, you have to remember, like, it might take eight months to shoot an entire TV series. Yes, but that TV series might have three scenes of intimacy mm-hmm. in a whole eight or ten episodes right depends on the content and the story and the characters mm-hmm. so that's part of it so in that instance um yeah i'm not retiring anytime soon on my intimacy <laughs> coordinator wages <laughs> well, that's good. that's for sure well, um but uh the role itself is not quite regulated meaning that you at this point you don't have to have an intimacy coordinator on set okay it is um recommended Mm -hmm. and there are guidelines that the SAG-AFTRA which is the um actors union in the USA and ACTRA here in Canada um and equity in the united kingdom and the intimacy coordinators there are under beck to which is sort of like the iatsi equivalent to put it in a north american context so um yeah like the the wheels are turning um for it to be um a, a more um systematically r- regulated and i think we may move towards um guidelines of where there has to be an intimacy coordinator but at this point those are recommendations and guidelines and not um like laws or Hmm. um enforceable in the way that we might think about it Mm -hmm. interesting um i'm curious about like the 
training that you took or like how you came into this type of work? Um, because as you mentioned before, you wanted to come in like in a somatic way, um, versus like a movement way or a stunt kind of way. Are there different types since it's not regulated and it, it seems not that way anyways, and it's not like enforceable and mandatory then like, I feel like are people trained in different ways or like, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So there, so you can come, you know, from a lot of different directions and it's not essential to have done an accredited training course either because so many people will have had life experience, lived experience, professional experience that makes them like beautifully and uniquely um, valuable in the role, qualified and valuable in the role. So there's no mandatory training. Um, but I did choose to train, um, for various reasons. Um, I started off in my, like in life performance, like you did. And Mm -hmm. I was a stage manager in the West End of London Mm -hmm. and the Royal Court Theatre. London is my hometown, the London UK. And so back in those days, because I'm 103 years old, um, (laughs) we did that role. Like who did the role of intimacy? Stage management, stage management, right? There wasn't really anybody else who was so uniquely well placed to um, tread that same path that I tread now where I work for production. That is who hires me, but, but I'm partner. there to be an ally and an advocate for the performer. Mm-hmm. And that still is absolutely true. So in that regard, it's um, a great amount of like learning and lived experience uh, comes out of that for me. I uh, have been a live model for artists since I was 13. 13? Oh my And goodness. a nude model since I was 16. Oh wow. And 16. Yeah. Uh, in the UK. And then I did. Did you have an intimacy coordinator on those days? I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Um, yeah. And then I did um, myself work. Uh, in Toronto as well as a um, life model and an artist in a kink friendly um, art endeavor about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and I'm a person a queer person in the BDSM kink community myself personally in my own lifestyle mm-hmm. um, with friends across the gender spectrum and all different modalities of interrelationship <laughs> options <laughs> of like same-sex couples multi-sex couples polyamorous puddles of people <laughs> cuddle puddles cuddle puddles um and i've had um you know a variety of different relationships myself uh i'm also a cancer survivor not yet in remission i didn't know that so i bring a lot of sensitivity to my work around physical boundaries, invisible disability, mm-hmm. limits. Um, and that's a really informed from my personal experience. Like I consider myself to be a person with invisible disability myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm quite aware for people and I do check in uh, always with them in that same consent conversation, like consent building conversation to say like, do you have any disabilities visible or not visible that we could support you with uh, from a production perspective or just me personally as the intimacy coordinator, yeah. even if they don't want to share it more broadly. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not up to me whether they do or not. 
Mm. Yeah. And then to go back to something that you said before about aftercare. Yes. I would say chocolate. that that is something. <laughs> chocolate. Always, right? Unless, well, barring allergy. Um, is to talk to people about what you and I would know from the professional um, acting world as de-rolling. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to ask people if they have a de-rolling practice, if they would like help or input to build one, or if they want a closure practice at the end of scene or the end of day mm-hmm. in order to move out of the emotional, um, professional, but emotional environment of whatever that intimacy or nudity was and needed from them. Mm-hmm. That's so important, I would think, because that's, as you know as well, something that's a super important part of, like, my job in kink facilitation is like, okay, you know, all of this has got some chemicals flowing and some adrenaline is going and, you know, pleasure chemicals are firing and what's a way we can kind of bring you from this, again, scene that we created together, that we collaborated on, Um, back to reality, walking out the door and doing your everyday things. Like, what can we do to get you from there to there? Um, And, yeah, maybe, again, that can be the thing of people don't know how to answer that. What are your needs after the scene? They're like, I don't know. It's like, okay. Again, here are some things that are common, um, you know. Um, And that thing, like how you're saying, like, kind of do you need you know, some assistance, in which case I could be that person if you need some support during that time or whatever, or is it a solo practice or is it something that you need to do with the scene partner? You know, for me, a lot of the kind of aftercare thing is talking about the scene we did a little bit in, in the way of like, yeah, I liked when you did that. That was, that was cool. You know what I mean? Um, that, that made me react in this way, which I think was interesting. Just like talking about that can kind of help process those emotions of being like, yes, it was contained here and we did well in what we did and kind of affirming each other and being like, we did a good job or whatever. That can kind of help bring some closure to, as you said, the day, the scene, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, not everybody wants it, but it's always the question to ask because some people maybe haven't heard of it or aren't um even considering they want it but if you at least ask the question then if they decide they do want it after the fact they're like oh wait what was that thing yeah what was that what was that what was that offer (laughs) it would take five breaths that we could do together and like do a shavasana on a yoga mat i'm in (laughs) let's do it i like that yeah a bit of grounding at the end some breathing some whatever yeah yeah just to help people break out and it's an interesting thing like Um, just to see the way that people will sometimes be very clear on maybe the physicality of a character they're creating or Mm. the voice of a character they're creating or physical manifestations. But when you ask them to orgasm in the character, suddenly it feels really personal. And people can sometimes get a little um, in their heads around what a climax is is and separate themselves feeling vulnerable about vocalizing that to really being really really um grounded in understanding that that is the climax of the character and that is the orgasm of the character and that is the vocalization of the character and it's not them Mm -hmm. Mm 
Yeah, it's that's again so nuanced, right? Because it's like, ooh, I'm sure there's some crossover because they have reference points, right? Of stuff they do or even stuff they've seen, maybe in other media or maybe in other partners or like, yeah, you get you pull from your life, right? Often you pull from your life, your experiences. So I can imagine that being a thing when you're doing it on camera. Oh, God, I just had another memory. (laughs) (laughs) One of my first commercials I shot, I had to I had it was a kissing scene. Um, and it was, it was a very funny premise is comedic. And it was, um, it was about this like very local film festival. And, um, I was kissing the person in the scene and it was a scene where like there, an actor was a director and we were filming a scene. That's the premise of the actual scene. And so it was the two people kissing, but feeling like there was obviously a lot of physical uncomfortability with the kiss. And then the director would come on and be like, uh, come on, you guys, we got to wrap this up. Um, mom wants us all di- back for dinner by six or whatever. So like, <laughs> three siblings <laughs> trying to film the sex scene for this, like, super low, very funny, right? But, oh, my God, nothing, no sort of intimacy coordinate, nothing was there. Um, that was my first on-screen kiss, like, yeah. Oh, that's funny. I don't know what, what you just said that made me think that. I love that. I love that we're getting you all the way back there, just dragging it all out. Oh, my drama. I love it. I love it. Um, yes, yeah, so it's true, though. Kissing is can be super... Um, it's so, it is so intimate, I think. And sometimes um, what we're asking, and this has happened uh, on at least two sets that I've been on, we're asking somebody to perform a kiss on screen, which in actual fact is their first real life kiss whoa so for like a younger performer um but could be somebody of any age obviously but in my experience some younger folks and yeah they have had their first real life kiss with a scene partner that reminds me of uh like porn that's like first time anal never is but maybe sometimes it is (laughs) (laughs) don't know you have to have a first time yeah, maybe it's on camera maybe it's on camera maybe brave yeah. brave brave yeah, brave yeah. Yeah. but yeah that would require obviously this like again this whole other layer of you you know you coordinating this moment with this person like yeah this, this, or this a lot day. of sensitivity um Oof. yeah 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 i mean it's it just depends right yeah absolutely yeah um, okay, we're coming uh, coming up on the hour, Matia. Is there anything that we didn't cover that we wanted to talk about for a few minutes? Um, or any way you wanted to wrap this up that jumps to your mind? Nothing specific that I can think of apart from to like shout out to my community of intimacy coordinators for film and television and intimacy directors for theatre that we didn't really touch on. Mm -hmm. But that is also becoming more prevalent under the equity umbrella. Um, I'm really proud to be part of the community. I'm equally proud to be in the kink BDSM community here in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And um, don't have anything else. Is there anything you wanted to like tell people about as far as like reaching out or I don't know if you want people to follow you somewhere or any anything like that surrounding your work if you wanted to find me on IG it's um Mattia K 
IC. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find me there. My website is intimacycoordinatortoronto.com. Uh, all one word, Intimacy Coordinator Toronto. Um, other than that, I'd say if somebody is a producer or a director or a performer, uh, know that your friendly neighborhood intimacy coordinator <laughs> is there to help you and support you. And uh, Like we'll they weren't there for me. <laughs> like they weren't there for you. Um, and for production, we're going to save you money because we're going to have all the conversations in advance. We're going to sort it all out. We're going to make sure everybody feels as confident as possible. And by the time they're there on the day... Uh, hopefully everything will be ironed out and the shooting will just go very smoothly there you have it yeah great okay uh for me folks you gotta know where to follow me by now i'm at the lady pim one on twitter that's where i'm the most active but if you must follow me on instagram i'm at the lady pim or at the bedpost podcast we have a patreon it's the bedpost show we have a youtube channel it's also the bedpost show and i never like to go an episode without thanking the lovely lady who does all the original music for my podcast her name is stephanie copeland and you can find out more about her work at stephcopelandmusic.com magic this has been absolutely fabulous absolutely <laughs> such a nice conversation today thank you everyone next week we'll see you again with another fun and sexy guest here on the bedpost podcast talking about sex and sexuality until then get fucked everybody good bye (laughs) this podcast has been brought to you by the sonar network sonar